You're listening to Inside Acting. To find out more and make a donation, visit InsideActingPodcast.com. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of Inside Acting. My name is Trevor Elgott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And on this podcast we interview actors, writers, directors, filmmakers, agents, managers, casting directors, anybody at all involved with the entertainment industry and we bring those interviews to you via this podcast. And of course, as always, we uh, like to say we don't know everything, we don't pretend to know everything, and we started this podcast because we're looking for the answers, not because we have them. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, questions you have, comments you have about the podcast, our guests, anything we've talked about, please do not hesitate to reach out to us at our website, uh, InsideActingPodcast.com, where you can learn all of the various ways to get in touch with us. And on today's episode, we have part one of our chat with actor Darren Petty. Darren has been on a ton of things, uh, most notably probably Mad Men. And, uh, mm-hmm. and a couple other kind of high-profile things. So really great chat with him just about being a working actor. So make sure you guys stick around for that. Awesome possum. I'm going to start every episode that way. Right. <laughs> Wait, let's talk about this first. No. <laughs> <laughs> just just awesome possums. So what's going on, dude? Um, what's, uh, what's been new in your world this week? Uh, this week has been challenging. A lot of stuff going on, but um, I, I would say that if I uh, was going to boil it down to the big learn for our listeners, um, it was about saying no. Um, I know we talked a little bit about, you know... Um, an actor's worth in the last episode and and you know i was uh sharing my manager's um you know email to that to that one production and all of that and um this week i actually said no to not only that project but another one as well really which was really it was a really powering empowering experience my manager's great and this is how any i think you know your if you have a strong relationship with your manager it should all it should, i th- i think it should typically work this way she gives you her advice he gives you his advice and they tell you like look here are the pros here are the cons i think you should do this here's why you might not want to do it yada 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 ultimately the decision is up to you and that's true and i feel like an actor who would is maybe at our you trevor and my level might get to a point where you're like oh god i don't even really want to make the decision (laughs) i want somebody else to make it for me so, so just to kind of recap for our listeners, the first job was this feature film where they wanted to kind of stick a flag in you for two weeks. It wasn't a feature film; it was a it was a play, and they wanted okay. to, they wanted to stick a flag in me for like six weeks, and and really not. It was like a four week rehearsal period and then a two week run, and not really compensate. You know what, like an equity wage would, right. would be right. for that. So you said you ixnayed that one. You <clears throat> yeah, well, that. it was just like, you know, the rehearsals were getting to a point where they were very unprofessional. Everybody involved was very unprofessional, you know, up to and including the other actors I was working with. And it was like, you know, I don't really want to put up with all of this for the huh. little amount that I'm being paid. Unprofessional in what way? Um, like communication was horrible. They barely got a stage manager uh, recently, so they didn't have a stage manager before that. All none of the actors were really. Prof- I think I was the only equity actor, and there was one other guy who has like done stuff, um, you know, done theater before, and then a girl who has done film stuff, and then everybody else was like people who don't act. Right. They just happened right. to, in the case of this play, speak Arabic, which is supportive to the gotcha. to the piece. Gotcha. So, it, I, you know, it was just, yes, the money would have been nice, but it also wasn't really, they weren't really paying me what I was worth, A, and B, like I said in the last episode, they weren't really budging on the contract. They wanted to use the word, like, exclusive, uh-huh. which is ridiculous because if you're not going to pay somebody what they're worth... And then you won't budge on the contract. Then it's like, so wait a second. So if I get a, if I book a feature film, and it conflicts with one of the dates, you're essentially saying that you have the op, you have the ability 
to sue me because I signed a contract with you. Um, that's kind of ridiculous. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if I book a feature and I'm going to be playing opposite who, uh, Daniel Craig, like I'm not going to be like, oh, sorry, Daniel Craig. I'm on the hook for like this, you know, this theater production. And I, I, I up until now, I would have felt as though this conversation was a very diva-ish conversation. Like, like almost like I was being... Um, Holier than now. Uh, holier kinda. than now or like arrogant or whatever. But it's not. It's just about an actor owning his or her power and knowing what you're worth. And and knowing where you're headed, I think, also. You're what not your just vision taking, is. You're not yes. taking any old thing that comes along and going, oh, good, I'm working. <laughs> you're like, this is, I'm a very specific direction yes. here. Yes. And I'm not going to kind of veer off my path for something that doesn't feel like it's worth it to me. I love that you just said that because I had, the, I had this, <laughs> we keep mentioning him on the podcast, but it's just because he's such a huge part of our lives. But I was talking about this with Ben, Whitehair, this exact thing. And I said, you know, I was talking to him about how, you know, I'm slowly this is actually another big learn from this week that we could probably table until next week but i'm slowly crafting my decision making tool set you know my ability to make decisions about what's next for me or yes or no's on projects and that kind of thing because i feel like i didn't really have a mechanism for that um whether it was because of the way i was brought up or schooling or whatever what i did or did not learn in school um and he just said you know one of the things that i always do is come back to my vision what is it that I want for my life? And if the thing doesn't align with that, then you know, you can, it makes it much easier to say no. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's so, so important to have that, that vision that like, here's where I'm headed. Yeah, exactly. Even if you don't know how you're going to get there, you know, just keep that in mind and take the next step. Yeah. I think it made it easier for you to say no to the, the the prank show, you know, it's like, okay, I did that. I conquered like my fear of it. But I don't want to do reality television my yeah. whole my whole life. That's not what I'm up to. Well, actually, you know? I actually asked myself the the four Udahaga questions. As Udahaga did I. questions. Yes. Yeah. I just yeah. Uh, I was you know what what are they again? Just it's always good to review this stuff. <laughs> always so good it's, to uh, review. It's, uh, um, have I have I done it before? No, will Will I make money? Right. Will I make money? Will it be fun? Uh huh. Will it be good for my career? And will it be good for my craft? Okay. Which is kind of another way of saying, have I done it before? Right. And right. if you can answer yes to two of those, two then of you should do it. Right. Right. And I felt yeah. like I, could, I couldn't answer yes to two of them. So yeah. I felt the same way. Yeah. I went I went through, it's so funny. I went through the same, I went through the Udo Hagen questions on, 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 on both of those. And um, uh, on the second one, I could say yes to two of the four. But at the same time, it just didn't feel like it, my gut was telling me it wasn't the right so, thing to do. So what was the second one? Um... Ah, screw it. I, I didn't want to get into specifics, but it was a it was a gig at the um, Walt Disney Concert Hall in downtown LA. I would have been on the stage at, at the at the Walt Disney con- Music. Damn, Hall. dude! All and, right, uh, so you got to explain this one. <laughs> well, they do these. The LA Philharmonic does these like children's shows, and they're directed by a director that I've worked with before doing children's theater. And the thing is, is that it's a TYA contract, which is theater for young audiences. So it was like a minimum of 30 hours of rehearsal, uh, which was going to be paid like $9 an hour and like six performances, which were like 75 bucks a pop or something like that. You know, at a certain point you got to say like, yes, that would be amazing. I would love, I love working with kids. I've done, I've done children's theater. Like I did children's theater for years, I've done, you know, this kind of work before. I love working with kids. Would it be fun? Probably. I mean, being on stage at Walt Disney Concert Hall, like, would probably be amazing. Um, would it be good for my career? Who the hell knows? You know, would I make money? Eh, a little bit, you know. Um, and would it be good for my craft? I don't know. I've done children's theater, you right. know, so maybe not. Right. I, you right. know, so, but it, it was just like, it felt so good to say no. It was it was AJ's moment of learning to say no. You know what I mean? And, and I, I don't know if there's a better way to say it. Like, it just felt very empowering to, to say, this isn't really what I'm up to in my career. Right. You know? Yeah. But I guess in order to get there, you're right, Trevor. In order to get to that place... You have to, if you, if it's not where you're going, you have to know where you're going. <laughs> if this isn't it, what is it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
And and you also, you know, you've had you've been in this industry for a long time. You know, it's been several years, and you've had your chance to kind of do all these different things. So you've, you're at a point, I think, where you've got a, you've got enough experience in all these kind of different realms. You know, I'm speaking specifically of these two projects and what they would be. That I don't think it would really add a ton to your mm. to your kind of base level understanding of of what you're doing. Right. You know, you're. I think you're past the kind of learning phase on on that level, and now you're on to the learning phase and and or where you're headed next. So. Sure. So, so, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to look at it, but right, that's right. pretty powerful stuff, man. And, you know, we're not, of course, advocating that actors go out and start saying no to everything that they book or get asked to do. It's just all part of kind of aligning yourself with that vision and kind of placing it in the grand scheme of things and saying, is this something I want to sacrifice my very limited amount of time and energy for? Is it going to be worth it for me in terms of what I'm going to get from it? Right. And a lot right. of times if it's free 99 seat theater... Uh, there's a there's a lot of actors out there that yeah it's totally worth your time and energy for that absolutely yeah but you just got to kind of you know look at it and and take you know take take a thirty second or a thirty thousand foot view and yeah well and I mean if, yeah if we I mean that's it you're absolutely right if we're gonna stage gospel again tomorrow and I wasn't gonna get paid for it I would <laughs> there's a yeah. very high likelihood that I would be doing that you know yeah, because yeah. it's like that's something that that uh you know i'm passionate about that i know i would have fun doing that i know would be good for my craft that i know would be good for my career like absolutely um and i wouldn't get paid for it so it's not it's not really about the money it's about the vision i think yeah. so i guess that's the um that's the big learn amen dude that. yeah high five high five high, high ap high five bam there it is bam <laughs> um sweet man how about you man what's your week been like uh i um you remember a couple episodes ago, I was, uh, I was, before I left for Vermont, I had a, a mission of, of writing a song and, yeah. and putting it out by the end of that month. And, and that happened, but not in the way that I thought it would. I ended up uh, doing a remix for a German recording artist mm-hmm. named Madeline Bloom. And, uh, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Uh, and I, I'm not really sure how I feel about the final product th- at this point, to be completely honest, but, uh, it's done and it's out there and it's part of a 17 track remix album of all, like her first album. She had a bunch of people remix all the tracks and so then she made that remix album available for free on her website. Um, so, she, and she's doing a feature on her blog of all the remixers. And so I sent in, sent back an email with all the, you know, questions and answers and stuff she had for me, and and the track is on there. So, so that that, ha- that happened. So and did, that you, was, did you make her blog? Cool. Yet? Are you? Uh, be up there? It, it'll be up there at some point. Yeah. Nice man. Yeah. So uh, I'll throw a link to that on the website if anybody wants to go listen to it. It's, it was just like she gave me all the kind of stem files, which are you know the vocal tracks, which are separate from the bass track, which is separate from the percussion, which is separate from the piano, which is, and I just kind of like rearranged them and added stuff and did what i could with it and it was kind of crunch time i only had a few days to do it so i i would have liked to spend more time on it but all in all uh i did it you know i completed something well yeah and it, you not only did you complete something but you completed something that you declared yeah and on top of that it didn't necessarily look the way you thought it was going to and you know it's always okay to renegotiate things like that and the other thing i was going to say is um your ability to complete something like you were saying like it didn't i wish i had more time it didn't look da 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 da. but like also you know sometimes it's just a matter of acknowledging ourselves for what we accomplished in in a shorter amount of time than we thought we needed Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean yeah so like sometimes like i'll tell myself okay i'm gonna need a week to get this to really get this done and then i'll go what would be like if i finished it by the end of the day (laughs) yeah and then what ends up happening is you end up doing a crazy amount of work sometimes you finish First of all, which is amazing, and sometimes you could just get a crazy amount of work done that wouldn't have happened anyway. Yeah, I think uh, Stephen Pressfield and Seth Godin put it best. They say, uh, you know, the professional, a true professional, ships, meaning that at the end of the day, if you are serious about what you're doing, you are going to ship a product. You are going to complete something and put it out into the world. Right. And until you do that, you are still amateur status. Wow. If you're not shipping a product your amateur status still why have you not talked have you talked about this on the podcast before I don't uh, that specifically I don't, I don't think so uh, maybe i have i don't know because that's a know. that's a big nugget man because that is that's another that's probably one of the most concise ways to talk about what we always talk about on the podcast which is just the um the diy stuff like basically encouraging people to kind of do do their own work i don't man that's 
my noodles a little it's, <laughs> it's 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 on the frying pan right now it's a cool little, man it's cool it's, it's bacon a little cool um yeah man so um wow that was some good stuff in this little first chunk here we got yeah. to say no to the things that aren't aligned with your vision and making sure that you're shipping <laughs> you're shipping Ship. as often as possible so so uh so there you go so there's homework for our listeners before you listen to episode 81 ship something anything at all yeah maybe it's a blog post <clears throat> yeah um don't make it a tweet anybody can tweet anybody can tweet. yeah <laughs> no, no well make it a, make it a stretch for yourself yeah what is yeah. something you could ship in a week i like that you know whether it's delivering uh headshots and resumes to prospective agents um if you have an agent delivering postcards to casting directors um if you've done that recently what you know what's next something else ship something this week and i don't and you know obviously we're not we're not we don't literally mean that it has to be something that you put in the mail mm-hmm. but it's about creating something absolutely yeah, yeah. sweet man i dig <laughs> it that's awesome i dig it <laughs> uh on that note should we roll into our uh, our interview yes sweet so stick around guys darren petty's uh interview part one coming right at you after the music Okay, guys, we are sitting here across from Darren Petty, uh, an actor who's been on, uh, God, quite a lot of stuff. And uh, we met Darren um, while working at the Kirk Douglas. He came in and did a show there and was it was just really great to kind of chat with him and get him on the podcast. So uh, excited to be sitting down with you, Darren. Thanks for being here. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Um, so we usually have to start at the very beginning and kind of get a feel for or really kind of what your journey has been to kind of bring you into this this business. And we were talking a little bit beforehand just now, and you said you had done done some service in the military. And so mm-hmm. something tells me you have a little bit of, a, of an unconventional story. So, uh, so where did this all start? I, I guess it is a little unconventional because I, I grew up in, uh, in, in uh, the South in Alabama, and, and we didn't really have any arts programs in uh, the schools I went to in the bigger cities, I think they did in, you know, Montgomery, the capital and Birmingham, but I was, we lived in small, various small towns and, you know, so drama wasn't really a part of what was going on. But then when I was in high school, a teacher from another town, a bigger town moved to our town and she started a sort of a drama club. And, um, and I, I, me and another buddy did it and it just seemed easy. And, uh, uh, and, and and I really liked it, and then we did a play, and I, I enjoyed doing the play. And so then I got out of high school, and I ended up going into the Navy. And uh, the whole Navy thing is funny because people – in my high school, I was the last person I thought I was going to go to the military. But um, I got in a little trouble. And uh, Oh, you got you got to tell that story. Well, <laughs> it was, it's not really unless, that big. Unless, unless they're still after you, in which no, case no, no, you no. don't have to tell that story. No, it's just, in, in small towns in the South, it's a lot easier to get in trouble probably than it is in big cities where the cops don't have as, you know, don't have as much to do down there. And it was all just teenage drunken stuff. <laughs> and uh, but I can't. So I just, it wasn't your fault. It was wasn't the, my it was fault. The board cops. It was the board cops and uh, <laughs> and the crowd I was running with. And I was always the one that would get caught because I would, I don't know. Anyway, nothing that serious, obviously. <laughs> but I ended up going to the military, and uh, it was while I was in the military. I don't I don't know how, but I was you know you're, you're sitting there when you, I guess there's nothing like doing something you absolutely hate to make you think about what you actually want to do with your life. And, uh, and I did not enjoy the military at all. So, uh, it was during that time that I started, I just would think about doing that play and how much I really loved doing it and felt like I had some ability. I, I had obviously had no training and didn't know anything about training or what training was. And I got out of the military and I ended up out here and, uh, I started taking classes at Santa Monica college. Uh, there was a teacher there who thought I should try to go to New York. She thought I'd, I could, it would be good for me to go get classically trained. And, um, for some reason she thought I had a capacity for that. And, and, uh, she, I remember what she said to me was like, don't just stick around LA trying to be on some TV show, you know, go to New York. And what happens? You go to New York, you get trained, you do theater and you end up back in LA trying to be on some TV. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, so you took, uh, you took theater classes at, at, uh, at at SMC. Yeah. Wow, right on. And I got in. So from there, I auditioned to, uh, for Juilliard, 
which was her idea. I knew nothing about Juilliard. I mean, I knew it was uh, for music. And I got in. And I think knowing so little about it is what kind of helped me get in because I remember going to that audition and there were kids there. And I was older as well. You know, I was like 26 while I was auditioning. And there's 18-year-olds there that have, with their parents and, you know, doing pirouettes in the hall. And this has been their dream since they were four years old to go to Juilliard. And, I mean, I was nervous, but... I wasn't like that. I was just felt like if I didn't get in, I'd just go back to LA and do whatever I'd been doing. But, um, but I got in, and uh, <laughs> of course you did. And well, I we mean, always, we always book the ones we don't care about. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like I said. It's not that I didn't care, but I didn't have as much at stake at stake yeah, as yeah, these yeah, totally. as a lot. Of, and then, and you know, some some of the kids. I mean, the, when I say kids, they were just so much younger than me. Some of my classmates were like that. It's been their dream, and they they got in, and they were really good. Me, I was. I got I got in because I was uh, I, you know I, I wasn't as as vested in it but and then I got there and I was scared to death because I'd never seen a Broadway show I'd never I didn't know anything you know and I was older than everybody I mean there was another guy that was a few months younger than me but there were a lot, a lot of the students there they'd grown up near the city or other cities and had grown up seeing the theater I didn't grow up like that at all and. Uh, I remember just feeling so insecure when I got there, but but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was because I'd been out working since I was eighteen, you know, and uh, now all of a sudden I'm, I'm got these loans and grants, and I had a little bit of a scholarship, and it's like my only job is to get up every morning and go to school and and you know do voice and speech and acting class and movement, and I just thought it was great, man. I was I'd been bartending and. <laughs> Busting my ass since I was eighteen, and I was like, "This is great." Uh, I mean, it, it sounds like you guys went to a conservatory or something like it. You know, you do a lot of work, but mm-hmm. it was—I uh, I really loved it. And, and I also there was something about going there older because a, a lot of people like really rebel against the the, the, the training and like, "Oh, they're trying to change me." And I don't know, being a little older, I'd already and having been to the military, I—I I, I just was like. I knew how to play the game a little bit. You know, if the teachers wanted to see this, I would just do it. But I wouldn't be like, if there was something about the training that I felt like maybe I wasn't crazy about, I just, I wouldn't have to like raise my voice about it. I would just be like, yeah, I would do it and then forget about it. You know, sort of like take what you need and leave the rest. And there was a lot of fear. I mean, I, I think if any, if I can get across anything, like my coming into acting is like just all this fear before because i like i said i didn't grow up around it i didn't i was there's and i come from a part of the country that i mean people are great down there and they're very supportive but there's also a little bit of like what you think you're gonna do that you know what i mean it's just like it's not i think kids that grow up in or I, hell i don't know i didn't grow up in la or new york where maybe you get the same thing there but mm-hmm. i think it's just it's something you see people do you know that, that like i didn't where i grew up you didn't see people become actors you know, it just wasn't, you know, you got a job either, you know, you were blue collar or white collar or whatever. You know, you worked at a gas station or you worked in a bank, but you didn't, nobody went and did a play. It just wasn't done. It is not part of the realm of possibilities. So I'm very lucky that I uh, kind of got thrown into it in high school or not thrown into it, but it had this little teacher come from another town, start a little thing and then. Somehow, me going in the military exposed me to more of the world. So I was like, oh, okay, there is other stuff out here, even though I didn't want to go and it wasn't something I enjoyed particularly. And then before I knew it, I'm, I'm living in LA and just decided to go to Santa Monica and like, well, there's a theater department here. I might as well take some classes. And, and then I met this teacher who said, oh, maybe you should think about going to New York, and which was completely terrifying to me, but exciting. And then I, I went and and the thing is, if you're going to go to school and you've already been accepted, it's a lot different, I think, from just showing up in New York on your own. You know, you instantly have a community who are kind of there to help you out a little bit. I mean, the way I was at that age, if I just would have shown up in New York on my own, I'm, I might not have made it. I mean, <laughs> but It sounds almost like um, like you were just kind of like going with the flow, yeah, like rolling much. with the punches a little bit and yeah. just kind of going where somebody said to go next yeah. kind of thing. And now here I am, a huge star. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to ask, um, I mean, coming from a place where people just didn't go off and become actors, as you said, did you have a, were you going against the grain there in terms of what your family and friends may have uh, expected or wanted you to do? No, no. I mean, I've been very lucky in that respect as well. My mother has always been, I mean, my mom just wanted me to do something. 
You know what I mean? She's like, as long as you do something, just do it. Don't sit around a bar talking about it, you know, uh, in a bar, you know, talking. I was going to do this and I was going to do that because that happens. And um, and then my as far as my father and, and my, my father's side of the family who are they're, they're a little more backwoods, wonderful people, but completely, you know, my world to them is, I think, is very, very foreign. But they are a hundred percent supportive. They they love any you know anytime they can see me in something and and uh, so no I I never and I do know people from places like where I come from or people from places like this who have parents that you know I don't you guys maybe I don't know what you've experienced you know where that are like really you want to go into that and, you know there's, there's no future and it's just you're gambling with your life and that's all true well, it is a gamble yeah but. If it's what you love to do, you know, I got some great advice from, uh, you know, my stepfather once who had, who my stepdad wanted to be a writer and finally did. He finally did write, write a book, but he, he, he had kids when he was, you know, fairly young. Like most people in that part of the country those days, you got married in your twenties and you had kids and you got to support people and, you know, went into, uh, worked as a nursing home administrator but but there was always something in him that kind of wished he would have really gone for it as a writer and he and he told me once when i was starting to think about doing this he was like you know just do what you love just do what you love and let the other stuff work itself out and uh i i I, I just think it's great advice Mm. some of the best do what you love and the money will follow yeah Yeah. Or it won't. But you're still doing what you love. You're still doing what you love. Yeah, exactly. You're not doing it for money, doing it for love. I mean, some people, there are people out there that are making great money doing what they hate. And, Hmm. yeah. You know. Yeah. And who's the, who's the better, who's the wiser for it? Yeah. Um, Did you graduate from Juilliard? Yeah. Yeah. I just, the reason I asked that question is because you are among, you were not in the company of people like Kevin Spacey and uh, Val Kilmer, who did did not graduate. <laughs> no, that's the joke there. It's like, if you really want to be successful, you got to either quit or get kicked out. Right, right. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I'm sure, yeah. It sounds Robin like Williams. That would be the truth. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, well, just people who didn't, who didn't actually follow it through. So you, you graduated from Juilliard, and then, uh, and then what next? You hung out in New York for a little while? and Well, for yeah, for until just a year ago. I graduated yeah. in 01. My first job was uh, part of the ensemble for Shakespeare in the Park. We were doing, they were doing Measure for Measure, and... I had like three lines. And then I got a job right after that, my first real part in an off-Broadway play at the Vineyard Theater doing a play called, uh, or it was these four one-acts by Doug Wright, who wrote Quills, and uh, Doug's a great writer. And uh, and he directed this as well, and this was called um, Don't Unwrap Your Candy. And then I, and then I went into, I, I got three, like three great off-Broadway gigs in a row, just bam, 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 bam. And then I was so broke because, you know, it's... it's yeah, I was going to say, what were you doing to kind of support yourself doing doing these gigs? Nothing. I wasn't doing I was living, I was living <laughs> up in Harlem before Harlem had really become as gentrified as it is now. And, and I'm in an apartment that was just like being passed down to actors. And you know, actors have been living in this apartment forever. There's like four of us living there. And and uh, I was living on the 350 bucks a week I was making, you know, and or trying to live on that. And then... And then I got a fourth off-Broadway play, and I had to turn it down because I had to go get a bartending job, and there was just no way to do them both. You know, when you go into rehearsal, you're busy. If I would have been in the lead in the play, <laughs> I'm sure I would have made it work. But I was like, well, this, it's a good part, but I got I got to make some money and get out of the hole. So I wouldn't have to, you know, get a job job. Can you talk about those contracts? I've always wondered about because, you know, having never worked, I've gone to New York for auditions and callbacks and things like that, but... When somebody says they're doing a show off Broadway, is that still like a, a Lort theater? Or I mean, it sounds like not because if it's three hundred fifty dollars a week, it's not as much as your typical, you know, Lort contract. So, like, where does that fit in when it comes to Lort A, B, C, and D? Uh, do people make enough money to make a living off Broadway, or do you really have to be, you know, on Broadway in a Broadway show in order to make enough money to to, to survive as just an actor in? in new york or um what was your experience of that i mean yeah you lived there for so lived and worked there for so long i mean it's it's a real i i'm i don't know the ins and outs that well most of the off-broadway <laughs> theaters in new york are non-profit companies so each mm. each of these theaters they they have an, an actual company even though it doesn't really operate like um what you think of as a theater company it's not the same actors doing you know 
uh, going and uh, doing you know repertory or anything like that. But they do technically call themselves a company, like the Atlantic Theater Company and the Vineyard Theater Company. The contracts, yeah, I can't remember exactly what those contracts are under. I mean, it, it, it's not the three hundred fifty bucks was you know ten years ago. It's gone up some, but not a lot. And they just don't have the money, apparently. I mean, and and then and what's tough now for a lot of actors in New York is that even Broadway now, the companies that do the uh, that do most of the productions of straight plays on Broadway are the Roundabout and Lincoln Center and uh, Manhattan Theater Club, and those are nonprofit nonprofit organizations as well. Mm. And so, those c- contracts are like Lord A. They're not commercial Broadway contracts, even mm. though it's a Broadway show. Yeah. So, and this is like, you know, people get in big arguments about this in New York, but it, the fact is you, you're doing a Broadway show, but you're not getting paid like you're in a Broadway show. Right. I mean, some straight plays are still commercial contracts, and most of the, a lot of the big musicals are commercial contracts, yeah. but most of the straight plays aren't. Huh. And uh, that's why you see, not why you see, but, you know, you have a lot of people who are very famous going to plays because they can afford to do it and then you got a lot of theater actors coming out here now because they can't afford to do it anymore wow you can't i mean in my opinion no you can't make a living in new york i mean as if you're a musical theater person um and you can you know which i'm not and you can go from a musical to musical i think you can make a pretty decent living or if you're one of the few people and there's only a few these days i think in the old days there were more that genuinely become you know a theater star mm-hmm and you and you're going from Broadway show to Broadway show and you're doing commercial Broadway shows you can probably make a living but if you're just one of the many out there who, are, who work a lot in off Broadway and every now and then get a Broadway gig you have to do commercials voiceovers uh, whatever TV there is you have to come out here and try to do some TV or you have to or you're not going to you you know it's the most expensive city in the country yeah and you're making such little money Regional theater has to pay a little more than off-Broadway because they got to bring you to their city, whereas, you know, everybody wants to work in New York, mm-hmm. you know, and be seen in New York, so. How often have you doubted this career choice, if at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I think everybody, anytime you're any, any actor, has moments of doubt. I mean, I, it's not that I've ever sat down and said, all right, I'm going to go back to school and become a lawyer or anything like that. But yeah, there's those, especially those, you know, dark nights of the soul when you can't sleep and you start projecting into the future. And maybe you've had a few months of not working and money's running out from when you did work and you're thinking about, well, how am I ever going to do this? Or what's going to happen when my mother gets older? Or what if I want to have a family? You know, and you start thinking, man, what am I doing with my life? This is insane. This is insane. What is it in me that needs to? The validation that, that you know that comes with being on stage or in front of a camera instead of just going and getting a damn job and but these days i mean shoot most of the countries in our been the same actors <laughs> these days i mean that's I, very true it's but when, not, when you when you do have those dark nights of the soul what do you what brings you what snaps you out of it well, sometimes I just fall asleep and I wake up in the morning and I feel better. <laughs> sleep and then, yeah. yeah. And then sometimes I, what I try to do is just I try to think about a job that I had that I really loved. You know, a play I did that I really just loved and remember that that's, that's, that's why I do it. And I didn't, you know, I didn't get into this to get rich. If you get into acting, unless you're already crazy connected or, or born with some sort of, well, I was going to say born like exceptionally beautiful, but that doesn't even make anything for sure if you get into acting to, be, to get rich you're kind of stupid really i mean <laughs> like i said unless you're kind of in born into the business you know you have yeah. family that are really high up in the food chain and can help you out a little bit if you're coming from where i'm coming from and you think you know what this acting thing i think is gonna how i'm gonna make it rich you're kind of crazy right because the chances of becoming rich are, you know, it's possible but it's very slim. If you can think, or or like, I'm going to be a movie star. I'm going to be, you know, I was, like I said, I was 26 years old when I auditioned for Juilliard. I, and I, I wasn't like, and I'm going to get out and be a movie star, you know, at 30. Mm-hmm. But if you come into this career, Earth One, or, or just, you know, just being like, I love to act. I love to act. My favorite thing to do. I'm very passionate about it. I feel like I have some talent. 
And it's just, I want to give it a shot and see what happens and, and, and be grateful for what you get. Be grateful for the jobs you get. And uh, that's that's the way to find some happiness, I think, in, in this business. you know. And, and when you are getting paid to do it, it's just like, wow, they're paying me to do this? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it's all worth it. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of, you've had uh you've had a nice run these past couple of years. I mean, you've been on a ton of uh of TV shows and I mean, let's talk a little bit about all the stuff that's been working great for you recently. Uh I think I think probably what you're best known for is uh recurring spots on Mad Men. Right. Yeah. Um so um when did things start to really click for you and when what's that what's this ride the past few years been like? It's funny. I mean, I, I don't guess any of us ever think things have started clicking yet. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they have from the outside. Really? Yeah, yeah. But uh, well, Mad Men was uh, has definitely helped a lot. And I mean, and I only did four episodes of that show, but people really loved to hate the character I play, Lee Garner Jr. And uh, and it was just one of those things. It was really, uh, I was really lucky because. And I've told the story before. When I when I got that job, I had I hadn't been working very much, and um, it was just a day on this new pilot. You know, I went in. I didn't get the whole script. I knew nothing about it. I was a little pissed. I was like, "Why didn't I go in for the for the series regular? You know, character or one of the characters?" But I didn't even know what those characters were because all I got were the sides for the audition, and uh, which again was just a little day spot on the pilot because they shot the pilot in New York, and. Um, and I got it off tape. I didn't even go in front of Matthew Weiner for the audition. You know, I just went in for a casting director. They taped me. And, uh, and I was like, oh, great. I didn't think anything. You know, I was like, whatever. It's a day on a TV show. It's a little bit of money. It's, you know, a pilot. Who even knows if it's going to get picked up? And then uh, I got there. And then I was in the makeup chair. And John Hamm was sitting next to me. And John and I had worked in a restaurant together when I lived out here. What? Yeah. That's crazy. Years ago when he was right out of – we were about the same age. But he had – like a responsible human being had gone to school right out of high school and not messed around for a while like me. So I was getting ready to go to Juilliard when we got to know each other. And he was, John Ham is one of the nicest guys. I mean, just such a great guy. And we're sitting in the makeup chair. I was like, John? And he's like, yeah, man, Darren, you know, you owe 72 Market Street, right? And he's like, yeah, it was the restaurant I worked at. I didn't even know he was the lead of the pilot. And then he had been kicking around out here. I mean, he had worked, but, you know, he had been out here for, at that time. It was like 10 years later. And, uh, and then I saw John Slattery, who I just knew a little from. We got mutual friends. He's, he's a New York actor. And, um, and I saw him. And, and then we went and we did the scene. And, uh, and, and, and John Slattery gave me a ride home that day because he had his car. We're shooting out of Kaufman Studios in Queens. And I was going to take the train back. And he's like, oh, I'll give you a ride. And it was so funny. You know, he was like, I don't know. He's like, this script I think is great, but who knows if it's going to catch on. It's you know, about a bunch of ad guys in late 50s, early 60s. I don't know if people would be interested in that. And then, boom, it came out, and immediately it was this huge – I mean, it's not a huge numbers hit apparently, but who cares? I mean, it's it's iconic already, that show. You know, you have these clothing lines there, Banana Republic, whatever, basing mm-hmm. their fall wardrobe on Mad mm-hmm. Men and all that crazy shit. And, and I didn't know if I was going to be on it again, you know, and – um but then they called me and because I didn't go back into the third season, and uh, and then the fourth season I did a couple episodes, and then it came to an end, which I knew it eventually would. You know, that eventually I was gonna. Yeah, I hope I didn't mess that up for anybody that watches it on. TV Spoiler alert! <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, um, but no, it was just great because that that part was it's just a fun part for me to play. It's uh, and and they that's and and it's 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 getting. TV has gotten a lot better, obviously, but it's still, it's just rare when you go in for TV and the writing is like that. You know, it's like doing a play that they're filming or like doing more like I could probably do in a movie that they do every week. And and the wardrobe department, the props department, they're just so detailed and so specific with what they want and what they think you might need. But they ask you, they're like, you think Lee would use this lighter or this lighter? And it's some fancy lighter from 1961. Wow. I'm like, oh, I think he might use that one. Wow. So everybody's always like, man, what kind of character work did you do? And it, actually, I did so little on that character because they did it all. I mean, once they put me in those clothes and they slick your hair back and you've got great writing, I mean, I put a little southern twang on there, and it's just like you're ready to go. It's, it's it was really a, you know fascinating to kind of look back on that because you know it was pe- people have really just deconstructed what I've done I mean have come up to me strangers and been like you know and I think and I you could see this part of Lee that I thought you 
really, really showed everyone in this episode. With the, I'm like, <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, welcome back. Hope you dug part one of our interview with Darren Petty. Some just some really good, you know, nuts and bolts stuff about uh, working on just another working actor's experience, um, you know, doing the grind. Yeah. Grinding yeah, it out. He, yeah. He, I mean, that is the best way to describe him. Working actor. Like, yeah. he does theater, he does, you know, uh, television, and he works consistently yeah and, and a I, unique story too unique definitely. story of how it kind of happened for him definitely just goes to show that you know people come to this industry from all over the place mm-hmm. all walks of life all circumstances yeah. and that's that to me is almost one of the, the the that's like half the benefit i think of hearing these stories is of hearing you know what people's experiences are it's just realizing that like very few people were like handed something on a on a tray you know with a silver spoon or anything like yeah. that. it was always like they kind of like fought their way through or fell into it or just kind of like took somebody's suggestion and ended up doing stuff you know yeah and just wait uh, for a few weeks um till we get into woody schultz's yeah, story. yeah like, it's very too. like just one thing led to another yeah, type thing yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. crazy 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 so crazy. what is your pick of the week dude my pick of the week is a book blog experiment because it's all of the above. Okay. Um, and it's called One Red Paperclip. Um, there might be a couple of people out there who are freaking out right now because they know what I'm talking about. But for those of you who don't, you can Google it. But essentially, this uh, this guy from Canada kept a blog for a year. He took pictures, documented the whole thing, so it's totally legitimate. And <clears throat> when he was finished, he, he wrote a book, and you can get the book now. So you can probably just do a Google search and find all of it, including a Wikipedia article on it. But essentially what he did was for a year, he started out with one red paperclip and he bartered his way up from that paperclip to a pen, from the pen to something else, from that to that. And it was always something of greater and greater value until he eventually, within the course of a year, bartered his way up to a house in Saskatchewan. I gotta, re- I gotta read this. So he started with a paperclip and just said, "Hey, to a random person, I'll trade you this paperclip for that pen." Yes. Then I'll trade you this pen for something else. Something, and then he just kept yep. going up and up and up yep. until it was like computer, car. Yeah. So house? At, one, at one point he had. Well, it's just like really weird. Like he started getting like really random things, like collectors' items. So he had like a kiss snow snow a giant kiss snow globe at one point. That was like some kind of special edition thing that was worth a lot of money. Um, he traded that for something else. He eventually had like an afternoon with Alice Cooper um, that he traded. And then somehow that like he traded into um, a, a, a speaking role, like a, a role in a feature film. And you don't know from the blog who that ended up going to because of like anonymity like they kept that person anonymous but like he shows that like at that point it got so intense that he had to have like contracts drawn up about the trade and like that the fact that they were truly bartering this thing for that thing so he bartered the afternoon with alice cooper for the role in the film and then the role in the film he bartered for the house which obviously there also had to be paperwork drawn up for that because you know it's just you know because you're talking about ownership of land at that point property so God bless the internet, man. Right? <laughs> no. Holy crap. And and, and this that was years ago too. Like it wasn't um I think it was probably before like the age of Twitter that this wow. happened. And I, I'm I'm the reason it's my pick of the week is because I'm doing it right now. I know. You walked in this morning, you're like, Do you want a PlayStation with four games in a case or a PlayStation <laughs> portable, portable with four games in a case? And I was like, um, Wait, what? Why? Do I want it? Like, you're going to give it to me? And you're like, I'll just trade it for anything. Yeah. I was like, dude, I, yeah. what is going on? So I started out with a toothpick. <laughs> I know, uh, like a week ago, you said? Uh, yeah, a week ago. All right. Toothpick became uh, auxiliary cable. Auxiliary cable became t-shirts. Auxiliary t-shirts became Crocs. Cable. Crocs became an Amazon Kindle. Kindle became the PlayStation Portable. So... You got anything you want to trade, buddy? I, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I have a pretty minimalist collection of things, so not really, but I'm fascinated to see where this goes for you. Yeah. So, and it's funny too, because other people that I've touched with it were like, not only really fascinated, really excited for me, but they were also like, I want to do that. So 
couple of our friends are mutual friends. Michael Pappas is playing now, and uh, <laughs> it's just it's just fun. It's really fun. Um, and so I'm just going to see how far I can get. You know, yeah, that's awesome. So right now I have a PlayStation Portable, and we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. That is nuts, dude. <laughs> yeah, I wow, right on. <laughs> right on in a year i can't wait to see what you're trading for i'm i'm i'm, I'm i got my eyes set on a porsche well if it's only but, been a week and you've got a playstation portable now and that's that's like a pretty big tear jump it feels like to me it is however here's the challenge now i have something that's where i i i did some number crunching you know it, it's it's used it's a it's an older product there are four games in a travel case so that increases the value, but the age decreases the value. So anyway, I did some number crunching and it's about $225 worth of stuff, right? It's about two. So I, so in order for this to actually experiment, to actually work well, I need to trade for something greater than $225 in value, right? At a certain point, it becomes very difficult to trade up because of the increased value. Yeah. So now I get to find somebody who has something of greater value than $225. That's willing to take a kind of a used PlayStation Portable. Yeah. I mean, it's in great shape. Right. You know, hey, look, if any of our listeners are listening to this tonight and they're like, oh, I want a PlayStation, hit me up. I might still have it. I don't know. Hopefully I won't because I'll have something else. I'll have something better. But it becomes increasingly difficult the higher you know price range you go right. because of the increase in value. So, yeah, in a week, I went from a toothpick to a PlayStation Portable. Things have kind of slowed down, like, a lot. And I'm telling everybody I meet, it's not like I'm, like, not being urgent about it or whatever. Like, I'm telling every single person, hey, do you want a PlayStation Portable? What do you got for me? And it's, I've tweeted it. I've Facebooked it. It's on Craigslist twice. Once in the electronics section. Once in the barter section. It's like, come on. Hey, yeah. I'm like, I'm, I want to go down to, like a, like, a game store and see if they'll trade me something or go down to, um, like, a flea market or something yeah. and see if somebody, you know, would be willing to trade something. But I'm sure they would. That's really, that's nuts, man. That's so cool. Yeah. Sweet. God, now I'm so intrigued. So that's my story. There well, that's one my red paperclip. Okay, I'll check it out. We'll one put a link on the website. Google that shit. Yeah, yeah. Sweet, uh, man. How about you? Uh, mine is book, The China Study. We've talked about it on the podcast before. We mentioned Forks Over Knives is a really interesting documentary to, to watch a few weeks ago. And uh, I finally started reading the book, which is this the most comprehensive study of, of diet and culture ever done. I think it spanned 40 years and who knows how many continents. And it basically found that I'm just going to spoil it for you here, that if you eat more vegetables and less animal products, you'll be a lot healthier. Um, but the, the book, end. <laughs> the book night, goes, into, uh, and goes, goes into a lot of detail about how they kind of, you know, went about these experiments and um, the, just the amount of kind of attention to detail that had to go into putting these stats together and making them count and making sure the, you know, the rest of the scientific community would actually accept them mm-hmm. without, you know, a ton of questioning because like they had to be so thorough with it. And they, uh, so far I'm only like a hundred pages in, but it's fascinating. It's fascinating, man. And it makes me not want to eat cheese again. I'll tell you that, <laughs> but it's really cool. It's really cool. And it just kind of goes through the different kind of foods and how they affect your body and, diseases and how cancer cells grow and when what environment in your body turns them on or turns them off it's really really interesting stuff so the china study worth it uh if you you know value your health <laughs> i was worth just checking about, out i was just about to say you 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 sound like the evening news right now like the teasers <laughs> that they do before the evening news because they're like <clears throat> you know be sitting there like watching tv like you know eating a you know, hot pocket or something. And like the, the, the teaser for the evening news would come on and they'll be like tonight at 11, the hot pocket that may kill you. And you're just like, <laughs> wait, tell me now, why are you going to wait until 11 to tell yeah. me that I'm going to die? So like you, you were like, yeah, it's this great book and da, 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 da. And it was like, oh yeah, that, that'd be interesting to check out. And then it become, it became like a, a matter of life and death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Were, well, I don't want to like get all alarmist and everything. Cause you know, I'm a big fan of Michael Pollan's work and he says, basically, you know, if you're not going to read any of my books, then let me just sum everything up for you. Eat food, real food, meaning, you know, not Twinkies, like eat like real food not processed food uh mostly vegetables and not too much that's it hmm. and uh and so really there's not you don't have to overthink it you know i mean i get into it because i'm i kind of geek out about that stuff and sure. I, I really like kind of learning about it but you know for the most part it's just it's pretty simple like it's common sense just like hmm. eat more fruits and vegetables 
eat less crap, eat less animal products, eat less cheese, and don't stuff yourself at every meal and you're going to be fine. Although if you want to learn about all the kind of nuanced science behind it, this is a great book to read. <laughs> so I'm thoroughly enjoying that and uh, we'll make sure we stick a link on the website for anybody who wants to check it out. Awesome. So I think that's all we got for episode 80. Yes, sir. Bob. Lots of ways to uh, get, get in touch with the podcast. If you guys uh, want to communicate with us, we love hearing from our listeners. Uh, lots of ways to do it. Uh, hit up our website, InsideActingPodcast.com, where you can leave us a comment uh, on one of the, po- the episode posts, or you can call us and leave us a voicemail at 213-2-ACTORS. That's 213-222-8677. And that's just a voicemail line. You can leave us a message with a question or a comment, and, uh, and we'll play it on the podcast and, and respond to it. And you can also find us on the internet, uh, not just at our website, but also on Facebook and Twitter. We're at facebook.com slash insideacting and twitter.com slash insideacting. And you can also follow our individual accounts, twitter.com slash digitalactor over here. And uh, twitter.com slash Trevor Algott over here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, of course, you can uh, find us on iTunes or Actor Rated. Uh, Just do a search for Inside Acting, and you can uh, not only subscribe to the podcast, uh, but also leave us a review um and uh, a five-star rating yeah those positive reviews or positive reviews i should say help help us a lot so um if you like what we're doing and you can't contribute financially or in other ways to the podcast um it'd be awesome if you could just kind of tell your friends and, and leave us a nice review on itunes and activate it because uh you know i think i like to think that, that makes or breaks somebody who might be hovering over that subscribe button going is this gonna be worth it is this gonna be worth it <laughs> 85 five-star review okay cool i'll try it you know plus it's free yeah. what's plus yeah we're not you? selling anything you know <laughs> we just kind of want to get some good information out there yes and uh help the community so absolutely yeah uh however if uh you would like to go that extra mile and help the podcast uh from a very tangible uh place you can donate to the podcast with your hard-earned money on our website on the right hand side there's a little uh uh there's a little what is it called a donate button and you can so i'm a little loopy this morning you, i don't usually, know if you guys have been usually able to tell. usually the buttons where you donate say donate <laughs> yeah i know something's we, not we con- there's synapses that aren't connecting in my brain this morning uh, i apologize i'm gonna i'm gonna massage your temples uh, <laughs> weird um <laughs> we should change the donate button to give us your money give, <laughs> give me where's my money where's my money brian we'll see how where's that works money? yeah <laughs> so if you guys want to you can do that uh you can donate in one kind of lump sum a one-time you know donation of anything from like a penny all the way up to whatever paypal caps it at i don't know what that is we haven't found out yet but feel free to test it uh, <laughs> or you can uh, donate on a monthly recurring basis and if you do that um we call you a we like to call you a patron and we throw up a, a little picture and a blurb on our website to, to kind of show that you are an awesome person who supports the podcast regularly uh and we have some stuff in the works that we uh will roll out to our patrons first so um not only does it help keep us going because we can kind of start budgeting for things but um uh you know you get a little a little kickback there too yes absolutely check it out awesome that's all she wrote for episode 80 then uh that's it that's it yeah i'm trevor elgott i'm aj meyer we'll see you next week and in the meantime awesome possum (laughs) 